0: Welcome to Destiny Spirit Church. This week's message is by our senior pastor, Donna Astern. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, my title tonight is Keeping It Real. Ephesians 4, we're going to start with verse 1. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Does anybody know what your calling is? It's called to be saints, right? We're called to be saints in the body of Christ. That's our calling. All right? So we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are called to be saints functioning in one body. Isn't that right? You know, Christianity is the one... one, Uh, religion, for lack of a better word, that requires us to be involved with other people. Everything else, you can kind of pretty much go off and do your own thing and be separate, but Christianity is all about us being with other people together and we're called to be saints together, functioning in one body. Let's slip down to verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We are to learn to function as a body. Our calling is to be saints in the body of Christ. And so the whole thing means that if we're called to be saints together and that means we have relationship stuff that has to go on and has to be worked out. Isn't that right? That means that that's why Paul has written these things in here telling us how to behave towards one another because we're all in the same body. And so he's given us instructions about the how to walk and to live as those saints called to be one. You know, there's such a work of the enemy to bring division and separation everywhere. But God says that we are to endeavor to keep the peace in one spirit to to keep together and we are to work to strive to maintain that unity that God's called us to and so it's we see here from this passage that dealing with relationships is important and it's also important that we recognize that we've got to have relationships in our lives you know we have said for years that the day of the Lone Ranger Christian was over. And sometimes we've thought, well, that just applies to the lone preacher out there or the lone prophet. No, it's the lone Christian. We've got to understand that to be separate from the body of Christ is is not being a call to God's not following the call that we've been called to. And so this is all about that we've got we're all part of one body. And the whole body, using the human body for example, it's fit together by what every joint supplies. Now you know, you think about the human body, my fingers have a relationship with my hand that my toes don't, right? My hand has a relationship with my wrist that my elbow doesn't, you know? I mean, I mean. there's a difference that's going to be in our relationships. There are certain people that we are closer together, we work, we have more to, uh, there's more strength to the relationship. We work together. We love each other. We're in the same, you know, maybe natural family. So there's going to be, there's going to be a difference of relationships between us, but we still got to say, but we're still part of one body. And so, you know, in our different relationships, you think about it, we have different levels of closeness with other people. True, right? There are some people that we don't know them very well and so we don't share the deepest things of our heart with them. There are other people that we feel quite comfortable with that we'll open up and tell them anything. And you think about the closest people in your life, maybe people in your family or your close, your best friends. You've got people that will see a side of you that outsiders won't see. Isn't that true? And so in our relationships, they all vary because of the level of transparency that's there and the level of closeness, but also it has to do with the willingness to open up. There are some people who are in living in the same house or have been workers for years, and yet they've never gotten to know each other. Haven't we heard sometimes, we hear of, of someone who, who does some... Um, some shocking thing. They commit some shocking crime or they commit suicide. And the people who worked with them say, we never knew. We never knew. Even though that person, I went to work with them every day. Even that person was, you know, a classmate of mine or that person and I, we shared lunch every day. But still, we didn't know. And, you know, because that person was not willing to really open up and let anybody else see deep inside what was going on. And so... The Bible is telling us here in this passage of Scripture that we are to grow up in all things, right? To grow up in all aspects into Christ. And this means that we need to grow up in our relationships and grow up in our transparency, our closeness, our willingness to let other people in and also our willingness to listen to other people and to let them, you know, some people, they just want to do all the talking, you know? But we have a willingness to listen and a willingness to also open up. So if we're going to mature in the things of God, it means that we're going to need to grow in our relationships with other people. And and growing is something I mean, I like the word grow because it implies a process of time and that it's acceptable for it to take you some time to get there, right? Because you know an infant is an infant is someone who basically just does a lot of receiving, right? It's as an infant begins to grow, then they start learning to give, to contribute, to share. And we look, and, and so we look at what is a mature person. A mature person is not one who only receives, but a p- mature person is one who also gives out to other people. Isn't that right? And, you know, that's one thing that, that we can just see in the natural realm that distinguishes between someone who maybe be they're 30 years old, but they've got the mentality of a teenager or a young child. And you can identify as because they're not giving to anybody else. You know, and sometimes it's just that that they've not been put in a situation to where anybody has required anything of them, you know. And unfortunately, this is really happening um, in great Uh, with great regularity in our society right now because of so many broken homes that kids are being brought up in and because of that so many of our children are growing up and they have not learned how to engage other people they don't know how to relate as an adult you know there's a lot of the uh, things that people have missed out sometimes just basic social skills that people have missed out on because they didn't get it when they were growing up and so in the body of Christ, we find ourselves in a situation to where we're having to do some reparenting sometimes for some people. Some people that didn't get it at home, they come in and they're needing to get it here. You know, that's true. It's true. So we're going to grow in our maturity. You know, it's okay for an infant to be an infant for a time. Isn't that right? It's okay if you do all the giving for that first year, that first couple of years. But even within the first, even within that first year, you begin to teach a child, say, give it to mommy. Or come give me a kiss. Or come do something. And you begin to encourage that child to give and to come out of themselves. And so it's the same thing in the body of Christ. It's when people come to the Lord, many times they're coming, they're hurting, they're devastating. And they come in and this, they just want to receive. They just want to receive, I need a word, I need prayer, I need somebody to solve my problems for me, I need somebody to help me, encourage me, and it's all me, me, me. Isn't that right? That happens a lot of times. You know, that's okay for a while. That's okay for a while. But after a while, it's time for that person to begin to start to contribute and start to show some maturity and begin to grow up in all things in Christ Jesus. We are to grow in our willingness to open up and be real. You know... There are a lot of people who have been hurt and wounded and are afraid to let anybody else get to know who they really are on the, on the inside. But you see, as long as we keep those walls up and have those defenses in place, we will not be able to grow up in all things in Christ. And so we're going to, we're going to look at some things here this evening. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 1. Now the problem with the challenge with um, growing up in relationships and growing up with people, is that we're dealing with people. <laughs> I mean, that's a problem, <laughs> that we're dealing with people, all right? And I want us to think for a few minutes about uh, another situation, and I actually heard this from a class that I'm, I'm currently taking, and I thought it was so good that I wanted to share it with you. In Acts chapter 1, let's... Uh, The story opens up. You've got Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And he has stayed around for 40 days, right? And he is talking to people. He's preaching. And 40 days, lots of people have seen him. And then he ascended and he went back up to heaven. And right before he ascended, let's look at verse 4 of Acts 1. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the the Father had promised. So he's told them, okay, I've been with you 40 days, all right, you guys are all pulled together, you are my church, and I want you to all stay in one place, don't go out preaching to the uttermost parts of the world yet, I want you to wait in Jerusalem, In Jerusalem was the city where everything was happening, right, the key city, so he says, I want you guys to wait there for a while, so they go and they wait, and they wait together, And at least, well, 120 of them waited together. A bunch of them decided they got tired of waiting and they went off and found something else to do. But 120 people did decide to wait. And so while they are waiting, let's look down at verse 13. Hear what it says. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together and started talking. Now let's think about this. These guys had been waiting together for several days after Jesus has left in obedience to his command. He says, okay, I want you guys to stay here. Now, while Jesus was there, I imagine everybody was on their best behavior because he had resurrected. He was there talking to them, I mean, walking through walls, all this kind of stuff. So I imagine everybody was on their best behavior around Jesus. Well, then he left. How many of you think that it's entirely possible that while these guys are sitting here these several days, they started remembering some things that happened right before the crucifixion. Maybe they started remembering some things happened. Remember that, remember that time that James and John decided they were better than the rest of them? <laughs> and they wanted to be in the two hot shot positions of authority? And maybe they started remember Peter, yeah, denied the Lord, took off running when a little girl said something to you. And then we said the Lord believed us, Thomas basically called us all a bunch of liars. And John, John could have really got an attitude. I was the only one at the cross. I don't know where you guys went. I mean, think about that. Human nature. Is it possible that something similar could have crossed their minds during this period of time? Why do you think Jesus told them to wait there together? Because they needed to get their relationships healed and fixed and worked on. And as long as they all went back home to their own houses, nobody had to face anybody. Nobody had to deal with anything. But see, God was about to release the power of the Holy Spirit and do a tremendous thing in the church. And he says, you guys are going to be the core of what's happening. So you guys had better get your act together. And start working on your relationships. Because you're not going to win the world if everybody's still pointing the finger and blaming Peter. And everybody's still ticked off at Thomas. Everybody's still mad at James and John, right? You know? And John can't have an attitude about he's the only one. You (laughs) see? Isn't that good? I like that. So, you know, they waited for several days. So while there, their relationships were getting healed. Now let me ask you, if you were in that group of 120, and you're like, Peter, what are you doing here? How come you standing up? How come you're talking? I, I heard about what you did. Do you know that everybody in the room knew what Peter did? They knew what Thomas did. They knew what John did, what James did. Everybody in the room knew about the failures and the mistakes of these guys. How hard do you think it would have been to say you guys are the leaders? How hard would it have been to trust them as being reliable leaders when last week last week, y'all. Two or well, last month actually. Okay? 6 weeks. You guys ran off, you you denied, you lied, you did all this kind of stuff. You know what? I th- I think that at first thought that it would have been really tough. You know, a lot of times we have a hard time if we watch somebody disappoint us and fail us, and particularly a leader, someone that we really trusted. And we say, well, how can we trust them again? Well, you know what? The Lord thought it was okay to let Peter get trusted again, to let John get trusted again, to let James get trusted again. Thomas, Thomas get trusted again. Well, he didn't believe anybody, you know. I believe that because their failures were well-known and documented. I mean, we can read about them today. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, thank God we don't have to deal with that, right? There's some mistakes we've made we just assume people forget. <laughs> don't bring them up again, right? But guess what? I mean, what, what kind of hard work and transformation had to be going on inside of these men when they realize that all of their mistakes were going to be public knowledge until Jesus came back. I mean for eternity. Everybody's going to know Peter's the one that did, you know, that sank when he was supposed to be walking on water. Peter's the one that cut the guy's ear off. Peter's the one I mean for eternity every mistake the guy's ever made is known by all the body of Christ. Wow. I think if you and I were in that position, we'd have to have a serious adjustment, don't you? I don't know about you, but I don't, most people want to hide their mistakes. They don't want everybody else knowing about them. And, but because everybody did know and there was nothing to hide, you had an atmosphere of honesty and openness. So maybe there was somebody else in that group of 120 that did, made some mistake. Maybe they denied the Lord to a family member. Or maybe they had some faith failing that wasn't public and wasn't widespread, but maybe they were feeling really guilty about it. But knowing that, well, if these guys can have their shortcomings and wrongdoings, you know, publicly, you know, talked about, and they can still be accepted, then maybe that my shortcoming and failure can also be forgiven and accepted. You know, aren't you glad that God didn't put perfect people in charge of church? It makes me feel a little better thinking that, well, I'm kind of glad to know that Peter screwed up a few dozen times. And that means if I screw up a few dozen times, then there's still grace and forgiveness, right? Hallelujah. I'm like, thank you, Lord. And Peter, thanks for not, you know, I don't know if he kicked about it or not. But I appreciate that, you know, he was allowed by the, the Lord to... I don't mean, know, maybe give us permission. I don't know what he had to do to get, to get those incidents in there. But, you know, the thing is that when the Bible was written, when the Gospels were written, the writers told the truth about what happened, and they didn't try to cover up to make it appear that these people didn't have any real problems. You see, one of the problems that happens now is people get in church environments to where nobody seems to allow to admit they have any problems or weaknesses, and so nobody wants to you know, really share what's really going on deep inside. And so you have the little plastic smile. Hi, love you with the love of the Lord, you know. And then you don't know what's really going on because the relationships have not grown. They have not matured. In this case, they kept their relationships real and their relationships became very deep and very strong so that... The, the apostles were able to have a united front against all the opposition they had and in raising the new church. You know, when you had, had 3,000 being added to the church every day, we didn't need to have a fight about whether Peter was qualified to be an apostle or not. You know, It was good to have that united front and that acceptance. And I really believe that this is something that God is wanting us to move to, to a place to where we are not pointing the finger and shaming one another But instead, we have learned to trust and love one another, to be open and honest about some things that are going on, okay? There are stages of forming real relationships. In the first stage, when you're first meeting somebody or first getting involved with a new group of people, say at work or at school or at church, you know, and if we speak primarily of in a church environment, when you first walk into a new place, a new church, The first thing you're thinking about is, I want my needs met. I've heard that this is a place where I can get a prophetic word, where God is, I can get healed, where the word will be taught, where, you know, you go in there with the idea of, oh, I want to get my needs met, and you're thinking inwardly about yourself. When we walk in, when people walk into a new situation, they put on the phony smile, and they have their defense mechanisms in place because they don't know if these people are safe or not, right? There might be sharks in the water. So what do they do? They go in and they do the polite social thing but not really let very much of the real person show through, right? Because they don't know if they can trust anybody yet. They don't know if these people are maniacs or safe people or what. So we'll just be nice and maybe smile and never come back, you know, as people do. So people wind up, they have their mask and their defenses because they don't want to be rejected and they don't want to be hurt. And so the relationships that they do have are all very surface. Hi, how you doing? Oh, just fine. Isn't the weather nice? And it's a very surface type of a thing. And they can talk about the small talk or talk about, well, you know, how was the game last night or you know something like that. But there's not very much of the real person being invested or risked. So it's still pretty social, and we just kind of talk just so there's no dead silence in the air, right? Okay, in this type of a setting, the only time a person is really going to open up is in a time of extraordinary need. Have you ever been with somebody that you just met, and all of a sudden they spilled their guts to you? I have, you know? Maybe you were were waiting on them in the restaurant, And some, or, you know, I've had, uh, years ago, I used to be an Avon lady, and people that I barely knew would all of a sudden open up, and they're telling me all of everything that's going on with their marriage and all this kind of stuff. I'm thinking, why are you telling me this stuff? But what happens is that sometimes, you know, a person will only open up when they just have to tell somebody. And I think many of us have been in that situation. And the reason that they unloaded to you was because you were close. You were the closest person and you looked like you would be okay. And so you had this stranger that opens up. But in that type of a, in that type of the stage of relationships, you don't open up to people unless you don't have a real need to do so. So it said most people just keep it very surface, superficial, and they're just going about their merry way. Now this happens in a church. When you've got this type of relationships in a church, what that means is, That people have a sense of entitlement. We've come here to receive. We've come here to uh, get a prophecy. We've come here to hear the word. We've come here to have things done for us. There's also an, an atmosphere of stagnation. There's not a sense of growth. And there's pew sitting because nobody wants to get involved and nobody wants to do anything because we're just here to receive. And that's the attitude that goes on in those relationships. A church like this has a low value on real friendships. Not really want to know those people, don't want to get too close to them, but instead wants to keep surface interaction. Conversations in this type of environment are also just part of the story. We tell a little bit, but we don't tell everything that's going on. We say maybe, oh, well, I had a kind of a situation, but we don't really let anybody know what's deep going on inside. Or people, they just give pat answers, and they just say the little things, well, you know, praise the Lord, hallelujah, and they don't really say anything genuine. Also, in this type of an environment, nobody deals with conflict. Conflict is just brushed under the rug. It's not, it's not handled. It's, a, it's just, we won't talk about those things. And people have Performance orientation. Performance orientation is when we are performing a certain way so that we'll receive approval or acceptance from a group. And so we'll come into the room and we'll do all the things that are expected of us so that everybody will still treat us nicely and like us and approve of us, you know? And so that's where people, they wind up, you know, that's the people that nobody has got to know what's really going on inside. And when they leave, then you find out, oh... This person went and had this major shocking thing happen, but nobody knew about it because they just kept <coughs> themselves inside. In this type of a setting, people talk about an individual's problems behind their back, but nobody ever deals with them themselves face-to-face. There's a lot of, um, it's kind of a passive-aggressive thing. Well, so-and-so really has an issue, or, you know, they really annoy me, so I'll tell you about it, but I'm not going to go talk to them about it. Okay. And also in this type of setting, you have a lot of insecurity in the leaders who are looking for a lot of control and validation. And success is defined by how many people are there and by how much money is coming in. It's all a very surface type of relationship. You know, you may have, it's like a pastor I met uh, many years ago. He had had a major moral falling, and he was in the process of restoration. And he said, oh, I could build a church. He says, I built a church, he says, of you know, thousands of people, but it was an inch deep. He said it was very wide, but it was it was very shallow. He says, because everybody was busy doing the church thing, but nobody ever got real. And consequently, he you know, he had a terrible falling because he was also practicing that very thing. There was nobody that got to know the real him. There was nobody that was really real. Now, when we first move in, we might move into that place in a church, but then we begin to move into a second stage of relationships. And once we have spent a little bit of time and we decide, well, this place is probably pretty safe, okay, then we begin to, over time, start to trust the other people a little bit more. And so then, in those settings, we have an attitude towards the group. I'm not so much focused upon myself getting my needs met, but these seem to be kind of nice people. They seem to be okay, and we start looking around and striking up conversations and knowing people. In the second stage, we're not content with just the surface relationships, but instead, we want to get to know people. We want to have something really in common to talk about, and so we want to just shy away from small talk and chit-chat And we want to get to really know people and find out who they are and what's going on. In this type of a setting, we'll trust to a degree. We'll open up a little bit. We'll share some things. And we'll let a wall down. And maybe we'll talk a little bit about a weakness or a little bit about a struggle. But we're not letting somebody really in very deep but we'll say, well, I've kind of got an issue here or there. You know, we do that. We have some areas of our lives that we'll open up and share with certain people we trust. There are some things in our lives we may not share with another living soul, you know, because we don't have anybody in our lives that we really feel like that we can trust with the deep things that are going on inside, all right? In this second stage, when people are in that kind of a place, they kind of like the group all right, there is little interest in adding new people to the group because these people are safe, so we're really not too sure about adding some new people in. There's no interest in growing the group. There's no interest in inviting new people to come in. And the local church, with this type of environment, you'll have participation, and you'll have people are having some personal growth, but it's a very inwardly focused. It's an ingrown. It's alive, but it's ingrown. And so it's not really reaching out to community, not really seeking to expand the church. The third stage of relationships, we grow past stage one, grow past stage two. We get into stage three. That's when the focus is no longer just upon me or just upon the group, but the focus begins to be other people out there. It begins, the focus is broader. It's looking um, in a broader direction. And also the focus is I want to... We want to have real relationships that are going to grow and build. Just as in the second stage, you're not happy with surface relationships, in the third stage, you want to grow relationships. Let's make them better. Let's make them better than what they have been, all right? The third stage, you have been around people, and you understand people well enough to know that people are going to fail, and they're going to let you down. You know, in the first stage, you're afraid that they're going to hurt you and let you down. By the third stage, you know they're going to do it. But, you know, it's okay because by the third stage, you're not worried about those people rejecting you because you know who you are in Christ. You're settled that you are secure in God. And so, therefore, knowing that just as they rejected Christ, sometimes they're also going to reject you as well. It's just a fact of life. You know, it's one thing we've said about um, that people always leave churches. It's a fact of life. But there are so many times that you've got pastors that just refuse to believe that anybody's going to ever leave their church. Well, you can't be pastoring very long and believe that because people always are leaving churches. It's just the way it is. And so some people are, they leave for various reasons. But one of the things is if they're, if they're leaving, we've got to be able to understand that's not the last person that's going to leave. And there's probably somebody else that's going to follow them for too long. So our security has got to be in the Lord and it's not to be in those people and what, what they may do and what decisions that they may, they may make. In that third stage, we want to move beyond the service relationships, beyond the closer relationships, and we want to move into a place where there are people who really know us and people that we really know them. It's, it's both ways. It's to know and to be known, that we want to have somebody in our lives that we know that we can count upon with the worst things we've got to share, and we know that we'll not be rejected. When we get to that, that third place, this is where many times lifelong friendships are, are birthed because we've got somebody who really knows us. You know, I've heard it said, a friend is somebody who knows all about you and still loves you, mm-hmm. right? And a, a real friend, a deep, a deep abiding friendship is one where you feel that you can be yourself and you don't have to be somebody else in order to be accepted or be, to be approved of. Isn't that right? Okay. This third stage, there is it is people who have this type of relationships are not only open and transparent, but they are willing to risk their transparencies and go first in sharing in a conversation. When you're like you're in a group where people don't know each other and don't trust each other very well, and if you ask a question. So many times, people wait for somebody else to answer, don't they? You go first. When you get around a group of people who start to trust each other, then you know, you'll have some who will start to venture to answer the question first. When you get to the third stage of knowing who you are and be accepted, you'll go ahead and volunteer the answer immediately. You'll go ahead and share, your, share without being asked. Do you know what happens when you share without being asked? It encourages other people to also open up and to share. And just like that Peter's story of failure was right there in front of everybody, you know, that gave everybody else the encouragement, well, I can let you know about my failures and my shortcomings if I, you know, because Peter has already gone first, you know, praise God. That can be really, really liberating for people. Well, we're at this third stage. We know that we get our acceptance from the Lord, and so we are not afraid of being rejected by other people we will be rejected by other people, but it no longer uh, torments us. We're no longer worried about it anymore. If they reject you, they reject you, and you go on with your life. In the local church, when this happens, a local church that has an environment of this, this type of relationships has the people take responsibility to want to develop and grow their relationships We no longer want to let them be surface, we no longer want them to be artificial, but we take a responsibility and say, we're going to do our part to deepen these relationships and to make them stronger. And it will also encourage other people that this is a safe place. And then you can open up and you can really be true and be open and honest about who that you are and what's going on. This is where Ephesians 4.15 talks about speaking the truth in love. When we are at the point of trust where we can speak the truth in love, whether it's going to be fun or not, it's not always fun, but we speak it with the attitude of not to judge, to condemn, but to speak it with the attitude of I want us to be honest and real with each other and let's work on building the relationship, okay? When we speak the truth in love, it means that we are many times going to be challenging a person's attitudes, challenging their belief systems, challenging, you know, Are there people that can speak that to you? Are there people in your life that can challenge your attitude? Are there people in your life that can challenge your belief systems or your behaviors? Does anybody ever call you on the carpet for anything? You see? That's exactly right. you got somebody in your life, don't you? All right? You know what? Do we have anybody in our lives that has that kind of right and that kind of permission? You know what? That's what we're after. Not that you're going to have that relationship with everybody, But there are are some people in your life that you are open and connected to, and they know, and maybe you've even told them, I want you to tell me. But they will come and they will open up and they will be honest with you and tell you what's the truth, you know. I've got people like that in my life. You know, I expect them. They have done it before. They will tell me, okay, Donna, this is what I think. But they're going to speak it in love. And one thing that has always been a blessing to me is... um, some of the key people that I've invited to speak into my life is there was, there was a few times that I always was expecting to get the hammer dropped. You know, I was expecting to get blasted. And you know what? They didn't because they valued, they wanted to come in and to be a support from underneath. And when they to say, We recognize you're struggling here, you got a problem, we're not here to judge you and blast you, we're here to help you solve your problem. And that's a supportive, loving environment. And you know what? When you have have received that type of support and love, you know, you're more relaxed about telling anything else that's going on in your life. Isn't that right? Because the trust has grown there. You know, some of us here, I mean, we've been through some challenging things the last year or so. And what's happened out of it? Because we've stuck it out and we've stuck together and we've been through some rough things together, guess what? Our trust level has become deepened. And we've we've seen each other have some bad days. Some bad days when some people were, you know, not behaving very well. But you know what? We stuck it out and we plowed through. And because of that, we have learned this relationship can stand that kind of a challenge. Hallelujah. A relationship that's never been tested is not very deep. Right? Okay. Let's look at Matthew chapter seven. You see, it's by speaking the truth in love we're going to grow up into all things. even into him who is the head of the church. By having loving people around us that will confront us about our attitudes or our habits, they'll speak the truth to us in love. It's going to help us grow up. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before a swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Folks, everybody is not safe to share your stuff with, right? Everybody's not safe. So we've got here from the Lord Jesus a list of people who are not safe to share everything with. So if you don't we don't want you to, you know, walk away from here tonight and say, "Well, I just need these relationships. So I'm just going to grab anybody and say, I'm going to tell you my deepest darkest secrets and tru- struggles and concerns." You know, you do that, you're going to regret it immediately, right? There are people we want to know who is it? that's in your life, that you've got maybe a a stage one relationship with, that you want to take it a little deeper? Or who do you have that's a level two, and you want to take it to a little deeper? Somebody you've already got a little bit of history with, and so you want to test it and see if you can make this relationship a little more open, a little more transparent than what it already is. But here, he's got a list of people. First of all, you do not open yourselves up to judgmental people. Why not? Because whatever you say, they're going to have a bad attitude. They're not going to come at you with support. You open up, well, I'm struggling. What are you going to get? You're going to get a lecture. You're not going to get somebody to, you're going to get rebuked. You're not going to get somebody to say, well, you know, let me help you talk about that and what can we do. Instead, you're going to get judgment and criticism before. So, I mean, there are, I think instinctively, we know there are certain people that you're not going to talk to about that. You know, we're going to find some safe outlets to talk to people. Okay, what's another kind of person who's not safe? The log in the eye thing. This is people who have an unhealed hurt or wounding in the same area that you want to talk about. For example, you got your feelings hurt. You got your feelings hurt at church. Oh, let's make it even more so. You got your feelings hurt at church by the pastor. Who do you go talk to? Not somebody else who's still mad at the pastor for their hurt. But you know, isn't that what people do? They go to the person who's got the same offense, and they want to go talk to them. Why don't you go to those people? Because they're going to get you stuck in self-pity. They're not going to help you grow past it, are they? Right? So if you're going to talk to somebody, find out somebody who used to be mad at the pastor, got healed and got over it, and then they can help you also learn how to get healed and get over it. Right? Right? So we're not going to go to people who've got the same issue that we've got. Because people who are still hurt and still wounded, they don't have anything good to say about that situation, do they? If they've been hurt and offended by the, by the boss, by the church, by a family member, they don't have anything good to say about them. So you don't need to go there with those people, right? Some people will just poison you against other people. So we, we've got to watch that. Okay, what's the third type of person here Jesus said is not safe? He's talking there in verse 6 about people that trample your, your precious things, your pearls. People that trample your values, your beliefs. People that trample the things or the people that you love. You don't open up to them, right? You know, there are certain people we don't discuss politics with, right? Why is that? Because you know they're going to ridicule and trample the things that are precious to you. is that right? There are certain people we don't share with what's going on with us in the Lord. Because those people will trample those precious things underfoot. So we're not going to share with them, you know. It's like I used to tell people. I said, if you want to ask somebody, you know, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, ask somebody who does it. Right? Don't ask somebody who says, ah, oh, that's not for today. We don't believe in that. You see, they're going to trample something precious underfoot. So we're, we're going to feel people out as we're developing a relationship and find out if this person has got some of the same values that we have. They, they think the same things are precious that we think are precious, okay? Because we don't want our, our precious things to get trampled. And then another person who is not safe is a person who just wants to use you turn and tear you to pieces. Somebody that just wants to use you for their own advantage. You know, sometimes people want to get close to you because of who you know or what they think you can do for them. False friends, right? So we're not going to give our precious things to people who are just wanting to turn around and just use us and work against us. So hallelujah. I'm so glad that this passage was in the scripture. That can help us understand that You know, we want to use some wisdom about who we're going to open up to. So let me ask you this. If you think about the relationships in your life right now, what stage would you consider most of your relationships in? Are most people in your life in a stage one where you don't get very deep? It's all surface. Nobody really knows what's going on. Or are most of your friends, uh, your relationships in a stage two to where you're comfortable with each other and you're open up, you're sharing. You have shared some things but how many people in your life are those that you've got a stage three to where you're volunteering to go first so that they'll have permission to share their pain and difficulty? Somebody that you're trusting, that you can be open and transparent. You can talk about your failings and shortcomings, and it's okay because your, your identity is not in their approval. Your identity is in the Lord. So as you think about where those are, you might say, well, I've got some people in all three categories, okay, but where are most of your relationships? If most of your relationships are in a stage one place, you definitely need to let somebody know the real you, right? And if most of your relationships are in two or in three, I think that's a good place. But what we want to do is think about somebody in your life right now that you would like to have a deeper relationship with. And maybe it's somebody in your family or somebody who's a friend of yours. Do you have a relationship that you'd like it to become more real more open, more transparent than what it is right now. Somebody that you would like the trust level between the two of you to increase. Okay? I think if we think about it for a minute, we probably, everybody could think of at least one person that we'd like to have a stronger level of trust with them and open up. So as you're thinking about that, and you think about that person, ask yourself, what is one thing that you could do to make that happen? To at least start the process. Now let's not wait for the other person to initiate it. If this is something, you know, another person, well, when they come to me and ask me, no, it doesn't work that way. What can you do to start moving the relationship forward to something a little more open, maybe a little bit more honest? Maybe it could be that you spend a little bit more time, and instead of talking about the sports and the weather, maybe you start sharing a little bit about you, a little bit about Your thoughts or your feelings or your things that are precious and valuable to you or things that are just not necessarily, uh, things that that reveal a little bit more of the real you. Tell me something about your childhood I don't know, you know. Getting acquainted on a deeper level. If this is somebody that you're already pretty close to and you know a lot about them, what is it that you could do to take this relationship up a notch? Maybe if you spent a little bit more time working on just talking deeper, you know. But I'd like for everybody to just think about that. I want to just pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to ask you to give us, Lord God, the grace and the desire to take some relationships to a next level. And I ask you, Lord God, that you put it within our hearts to take action and to not shrink back out of apathy or out of fear, but Lord, that we would as your word says, speak the truth in love and grow up into all things into Christ Jesus so that there is somebody who knows the real us. And maybe there are several people who know the real us so that when people look at us, they can say what you, get, what you see is what you get. you are the same person wherever they go. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord God. Father God, I also ask you if you would reveal to us what we could do to move our church to the third stage. What could we as individuals do to cause our church to be a safe place where it didn't matter if somebody walked in the door what kind of struggles or sin or problems or whatever they had. They could come in here and they could be accepted and loved, not judged, not criticized, but know that this was a safe place where they could learn to grow up into all things in the Christ. Father, I ask you, Lord, to give us some insight and understanding of what we can personally do so that, Lord God, that we may be a reflection that, Lord, we have really been called to be part of, a, part of the body of Christ and to work together and to function to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Destiny Spirit Church or additional teaching CDs or training events, Please visit our website at www.destinyspirit.com or you can write to us at Destiny Spirit Church, P.O. Box 15252, Chesapeake, Virginia 23328. Thank you.